You look nervous. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You ever been on a radio before? You must have been. I have. Of course. Because uh, he always has like a radio voice. He does. Yeah, In fact, uh, I feel like quitting right now and just letting no, him take over. No, 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 no. We got this. Yeah. That would be my same question to you guys. Y'all want me to, y'all want to show after this, no, right? No, we, we good. We okay. good. Okay. Yeah, just be you. Okay. You be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 17 of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimmler. I'm Jamil Brook. And today we have a special guest with us. Yay. Welcome, James Clue. Yay. Hello, everybody. Tell special. Us, listen to that voice. I, I Seriously, I'm just going to quit right now and let you take over. I, I cannot compete. Imposter syndrome is rising its ugly head right now when I'm sitting next to you. It is not. Let's go. We got it. James, tell us a little bit about yourself. Born and raised here in Greenwood, Abbeville area. When I put my feet on the ground every day, I stand on the same soil that my great-great-grandmother slaved tobacco and cotton on. Mm-hmm. The house still sits there today that she died as a free person in. Mm-hmm. So my blood started running in the same spot it's going to stop. It doesn't matter how many lapels you wear with a flag on it or how many stickers you put on your car. You will never be more American than I am. Oh, that's deep. Mm, that's that's deep. deep. Put that on a shirt. He's absolutely correct. And, and he did mention we are coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating. Tell your friends about us. Follow us on social media or better yet. Somebody please explain to Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace the meaning of the letters T-M-I. Boy, howdy. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? My well, gosh. I'm going to play a clip of something Nancy May said out loud over the summer in public, and then we're going to play a game. So pay attention closely, okay? You ready? Yeah. I'm going to play the clip, and then I'm going to ask you, where did she make this statement? I slightly edited the clip because she kind of gave it away in the middle of her statement. So I edited it out, but I'm going to have you guys guess where she made the statement, and then I'll play the unedited clip. Here we go. And when I woke up this morning at 7, I, I was getting picked up at 7.45. Patrick, my fiance, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed. And I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. Uh, and I got to be on time. And I, he'll, he can wait. He's got, we got, I'll see him later tonight. Um, but I was here early. That is our Congresswoman, Nancy Mace from District 1 in South Carolina. So the question I pose to you two. Where did she make this statement? Was it A, at a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., B, at a funeral for a relative where she gave the eulogy, C, at a high school in her district when addressing the senior class, or D, at a senior center in her district during a campaign rally? One of those answers is true. All right, so I'll start with our guest, James Clue. Was it at a prayer breakfast, funeral, high school, or senior center? It would only make sense that them being Republicans, it would be at a prayer breakfast. Ooh, interesting theory. Jamil, do you agree or do you have a differing opinion? Actually, that's my selection as well, A. Well, you'll be surprised. Let us find out with her full statement. 
pulling this together. Another year, another standing room only event. And when I woke up this morning at 7, I, I was getting picked up at 7.45. Patrick, my fiance, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed. And I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. Uh, I got to get to the prayer breakfast. And I got to be on time. And <laughs> you are but, um, absolutely I, right. It was at a prayer breakfast in front of a bunch of Bible-thumping Republicans. So many things I could say. Tripping over each other, showing how devout they are. Yes. So consistent. Yes. yes. Consistent. And Nancy Mason was right up there making that speech. And she engaged in conversation <laughs> because she said, what? He can wait. So somebody had to say something to keep the conversation going. Probably saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> You can always drop us a note. Tell us what you thought of that little game, black, white, blue, in the south at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You can pick a subject and have us run with it. Hey, Jamil, we've gotten a few subjects so far sent to us, believe it or not. So that will definitely help when we launch season two of our podcast, which debuts in January. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even threads. We have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything, so look at those show notes where we will have that and links to all the material we mentioned in today's episode. James, have you ever seen a politician speak live? You know, a a name that we would recognize. Yeah, the first time was Barack Obama. That was my first political endeavor live. And it was very, it was inspiring. That was right here in Greenwood. Right here in Greenwood. Wow. So, on to a different subject. Jamil, guess what? What? I found out we are not the only political podcast based in Greenwood, South Carolina. Child, who else is it? I No kidding, right? Well, this actually was an interaction I had with somebody on Threads, and okay. I stumbled across a podcast called The Old Cranky Bones Podcast. <laughs> I like the name. Run by a gentleman named Chris Wilson, who records it out of his car. And I tell you what, for a in-his-driver's-seat recording, it's pretty high quality. His oh, voice wow. comes through nice and clear. Uh, I'll tell you, the quality's great. He also, like James has a great voice for broadcast, again, making me feel inadequate every time I do this. And he goes into a deep dive on political issues, mostly on a national level, but he has got a liberal bent to him as well. Okay. In fact, I'm going to give you a little 20-second clip. You can hear what he sounds like. Old Cranky Bones by Chris Wilson. So what's everybody talking about this weekend? Because it appears to be the ongoing dumpster fire happening on over at X, the platform formerly known as Twitter currently being run into the ground by owner Elon Musk, and this ongoing embroiled controversy he's in with Media Matters. Yep, so that's Chris on the Old Cranky Bones podcast. You'll he find does him. have that voice. Oh, he does. Nice. He does. Uh, so his, his shows are around 30 to 40 minutes long, and he just riffs on different topics. But the guy is very well-informed, very easy on the ears. Okay. And I am working to get him on our show. No offense to you, James. No, you, no. You're a one and done. <laughs> but we're, we're going to have uh, various guests next year, and Chris is going to be one of them. Now, I did mention that it would be next season. I think this is a good time to yeah. share with you that this will be our final show for the year. Jamil and I are taking a holiday break. We will be back in January with yeah. season number two. But this gives you ample time to get caught up on all of our back episodes and the nearly 100 different topics that we've covered. And even (laughs) then, Jamil, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I know. Gosh. 
But back to old cranky bones. <laughs> this actually makes five podcasts, including ours, that I know of, which originate here in Greenwood. That's cool. Believe it or not. That's cool. And I have to wonder if there is a uh, podcast per capita measurement out there, because <laughs> I got to imagine for for this old red county of Greenwood, we actually seem to have a disproportionate number of podcasts <laughs> for the residents that we have. So I think that's fantastic. I do too. Fire up! I think I heard James in that chant. Did you, Jamil? You, you may have. I think that was, I, I heard him. He, his voice really stuck out. As you know, Jamil and I are running for office. I for State House District 13 in South Carolina. Yes. And Jamil for the next door district, 12, also yeah. in South Carolina. And we're going to give you a quick update as we do weekly as to how our campaigns are going. I was with the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, and this was the Epsilon Gamma Gamma chapter. They were holding their Achievement Week for 2023. Now, this isn't your sorority, right? No, it's the Omegas. So is this like a competitor? They are not. It is a male fraternity. Oh, okay. A member of the Divine Nine. You may have heard of them as the Qs, but they are the one and only Omega Sci-Fi. They had their achievement week in Clinton, South Carolina, and I was on program to talk about voter registration. And if you've heard me, my voter registration talk is not your typical set up a table talk. So just having that opportunity was one that I didn't want to miss. If you know the Omegas, they are definitely pillars in the community. They definitely pour into the youth in any way, shape or form that they can. But it was so well worth it. Good. So well worth it. And on that Friday night, sleep deprived was I, Saturday morning, I did participate in the grape stomp that happened here. I could tell you looked a little off Um, as you stumbled into (laughs) the Spratt Issues Conference. I could tell. Trust me, they make sure you're not going to be looking off and stumbling. (laughs) I mean, you get two drops. But it was really good. And I want to tell you why I enjoyed it. Now, I've been in Greenwood for a while. But it was so cool because they made sure that you got to visit some of the small shops and the boutiques. And I actually went into some that I've never been in before. And that was just great exposure. And so, you know, just check out the boutiques that are running up uptown Greenwood. That was that was really cool. Oh, that's exposure. awesome. Did you leave your card everywhere you went? No, Bill. See, what I'm doing is... <laughs> You know, I show up in places as Jamil. Yeah. And then when it's time for me to talk candidate stuff, I will. But Friday night was just a night for me to get to see what Greenwood is doing as Jamil, the citizen. And I, then I will. I'll share this with you. And this Brooks. is again, having run a campaign once already. Yeah. I was of the same mindset as you. Like you I didn't me want that card everywhere I go. I didn't want to just insert my campaign into everybody's business. Yeah. Right. This time around, you got to change that mentality. You think you so? got to insert yourself. You you can still be yourself. You can still be Jamil. Yeah. But you have to hand that card and says, "Oh, by the way, I'm running for office. Check me out." Yeah. And then you leave it at that. But this is the opportunity to get your name out, my name out to whomever. And you know what? They don't mind. Okay. They really don't mind at all. Yeah, but I was so focused on just enjoying it. But you're right. So maybe I'll take a little more time and do that. Well, I'm glad you did it because I did not do that grape stomp. Um, I was not able to be in town for that. Uh, but it sounds like it was a lot of fun. It was. It was cute. It was real cute. Now, James, you're in, you've got small businesses that you help run, right? Yeah, it's a 9,000-member small business. Ooh. <laughs> there are 9,000 employees in it. Wow. That's so not it's a, that small. It's a, a convenience store, gas station uh, chain? They're department stores, Department actually. store. Yeah. How and cool uh, we get to travel the East Coast and uh, Midwest. 
and I get around, I get to see a lot of stuff and a lot of different dynamics of, of America, mm-hmm. of the people in America. You know, you get places and you see, oh, it's been, I haven't seen a Confederate flag all week. You know, stuff like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it dawns on you. I was in, last year, I was in Washington Courthouse, Ohio. Never heard of it. There were 15,000 people in it and 250 blacks. They had five bullet holes on their courthouse where there was a riot 120 years ago and they left the bullet holes there because, you know, they were chasing out their black guy that allegedly did something. And the the people got shot out. But anyway, people were like, well, how were the people there in Washington? I said, they were wonderful. And they said, well, but, but it was just one of you. <laughs> and I said, well, I imagine if a Klansman went walking through Compton, you know, he... <laughs> People would be nice, to, you know. It's like, what, what, what harm am I going to cause there in Washington Courthouse, you know? Like, you know? Of course they were nice to me. I posed no threat, you yeah. know. But you just get to see people. And while at the same time people are people, you can still notice the, the, the change in people. Mm. Like I'll be in Columbus, Ohio next week. And I was warned not to get in the area I'm in, not to get a hotel where I'm working. <laughs> mm. Get away wow. from there. You know, because we care about crime, too. They want you to think we don't. Yeah. But when we get out of our cars, we lock them, too. We do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we lock our homes. Yeah, we check uh, it. I don't know why they get that narrative. Yeah, I always say that poverty doesn't necessarily know a name or a color or a race. Crime doesn't either. So if you can point out a black criminal, we can point out a white criminal. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. So, yeah, everybody's checking and locking. Now, coming back to our campaigns, we had a strategy meeting with our campaign team this past week. Oh, my goodness. Did you get excited? Because I got excited. To me, again, last year, I did my campaign all by myself. I did a lone wolf. And I, I didn't want to bother anybody. Boy, am I glad, Jamil, you made me bother some people this year because yes. this team we've got is crack top. Dynamic. They're awesome. We've got a treasurer. We've got a scheduler. We've got a campaign manager. And those are the seeds from which we will grow. Yeah. So that was great. Anything else you want to bring up from the week? Nah, let's rock. All right. So I think we'll turn our attention to the news. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. Before we get into other topics, I want to do a quick follow-up on a topic from last week. Yeah. So one of our biggest topics was how Ellen Weaver, the state superintendent of South Carolina, uh, who got her fake master's degree from Bob Jones University in and a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. she decided to implement, or I would say, create a legislative proposal in which the state takes over the book banning Mm, realm. So this mm. fight of book bans in your schools and libraries goes from the individual districts and counties, and now the state board wants to be the nanny that controls what you read and when you read it. You know I'm rolling my eyes very hard. Oh, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) Boy, we haven't cracked that one out in a while. Got some mess, though, but go ahead. Thank you for for bringing that up. So just as a quick update, there was a hearing held last week, Mm -hmm. and the South Carolina State Board of Education did vote to advance that policy that could restrict public school students' access to learning materials. Was anybody surprised that that was going to be the outcome, though? No, and that was a point I wanted to make, is they held a hearing, and based upon reports from some people that I saw who were there at that event, Mm -hmm. the room was packed. People were spilled out into the hallway, as you can imagine. And then arbitrarily, they allowed only 10 folks to speak. 
They announced that at the beginning they were going to allow five for the regulations and five against. Now, uh, let's say there was 150 people there. There were probably only five who were for the regulations and everybody else was against, but they only let five speak against. That was strategic to make sure that those five that were for had the floor. And if they don't do that, they'll limit the, the amount of time you can speak. You got 30 seconds. You got, you know, one minute. To me, I've seen too many of these public hearings to which the lawmakers are theoretically sitting there to listen and learn and hear the opinion and make a decision. But I've just become frustrated with that whole dog and pony show. This is um, the state superintendent's last run in that seat. Somebody else needs that, that can respect the individuals that are educators and respect the parents. So though those rules are going in place now, don't get comfortable because that is a seat that you will relinquish to the next person. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. You know, it it could be about book bans. It could be about abortion access. It could be about CRT in schools. They hold these hearings. And I have seen speaker after speaker bring facts and numbers and eloquent arguments and just really make the case so strongly. But you know what the fix is in? It was already done. Yeah, it was done. It was done. And they just go through these motions for... I don't know, appearance sake, you know, check the box. We did it. Now we're going to go vote the same way we were going to vote anyway. And what we really need to do and bless the people that show up and, and do these speeches and do get on the public record with this information. But the only way that we're ever going to get this change is to change the damn lawmakers that are in charge and put in place people who actually do listen, whose minds could be changed. You can certainly have your opinion and your moral code and your way of thinking, But if the facts and numbers speak a different way, you have to be malleable. You have to be able to update your opinion and make it an informed opinion. Yeah. James, have you ever spoken in front of a group of lawmakers? Uh, I have not uh, that I was aware of, uh, but uh, I've I've reached out to people. People have asked me to do some speaking before, and I I have. Now, my father— was a politician. Oh, no kidding. Mm. He was the oldest first-time elected official in the history of Abbeville. Mm. In our district that we live in, he was the only black to ever be elected in that district. Elected for what? Uh, County council. Okay. Mm. He won by a four-to-one margin, and our district is four-to-one white. Mm. He went door-to-door at every house and talked to every individual and sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, South Carolina's a red state and, and it's going to do you no good. You have to go after every vote in the state and we have to continue to fight. We have to continue to make our voices heard. You know, everyone goes into their polling booth alone. Mm-hmm. And what they may tell you out in the public mm-hmm. may not essentially be what happens when they go in that booth to pull the lever. Yeah, you make a good point, because I always like to say that regardless of who wins, you still represent everybody that's in that area. So it is important for you to knock on the door, make phone calls or contacts for those who you thought would never vote for you because you represent them, too. How old was your father when he won? He was 75. Oh, okay. right. Well, I tell you what, I aim to beat that record because at this rate, I may be the oldest man to ever be elected for the first time. So uh, I'm going to keep well, at it, keep even at if I'm it. 90. Don't stop. Yes. <laughs> and to that point, he was that vote was never supposed to be a, a, a left-leaning seat. Mm. It's the largest district in the county. So if you go over to the uh, library, he was the deciding vote that moved us from downtown in Abbeville out to the bigger branch. 
He was also the deciding vote that moved all the little offices scattered over town to the main office at the old hospital. He only made one term, but he affected change that will last forever. Yeah. Amazing. And on that, he had a garden in my yard. And on election night at 7 o'clock, he was out in the garden. I said, you're not going you're not going to the polls and, and, and listen to the polls? And he was, no, I'm working in my garden. <laughs> but you get in an office to affect change, mm-hmm. not to make a career out of yep, it. You yep. know? You're, you're there to make change, and that's what we need now, uh, change agents. Mm-hmm. All right, James, you brought a topic to the table you wanted to bring. You want to hit that now? Yeah. My big concern with the Democratic Party is why can't we control the messaging? Well, you take a Matt Gates allegedly child trafficking. You take a Jim Comer, allegedly shelling a company out. You take a, any, any go down the list of, of, of politicians. But if you ask the average person walking down the street, who's against crime? They'll say the Republicans. They're, they're most criminals. You say, who's against corruption? You look at Clarence Thomas and Alito, a corrupt Supreme Court. Who's against crime with 91 indictments? He can stand there and say he's against crime. And how do they get control of that message? And I believe it's because Democrats, we tend to wake up every day and wait to see what we have to defend and fight against Mm. rather than being on the offense, rather than grabbing it and getting out in front and saying, this is what we're going to talk about today. Do you realize if Donald Trump had the record, the legislative record that Joe Biden has he would already be on Mount Rushmore already. Mm-hmm. Why are we afraid of winning? We're so used to counterpunching. We knew for 40 years that they were going to attack Roe v. Wade. And we waited until it happened. And then we did the hand wringing like, oh, they overturned Roe v. Wade. They had a ground game for 40 years to do it. Mm. And they're already moving in the process uh, with the school books, how they're, they're changing all of that. And I always laugh when they do the CRT and the stuff. And I'm like, well, you can erase all the history you want to. Look what you did yesterday. You just made some more history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need that book to to tell me who you are, you're showing it to me. You showed me yesterday and you'll show me tomorrow. And I just, my biggest concern is people like fighters. As Democrats, we have to learn that it's okay to fight. It's okay to look at somebody and say, no, you're wrong. You're lying. That's not true. And we fight so hard, I believe, to try to control that middle Five percent of independence. You know, we can't get bad because we don't want to upset the independence. A hundred and fifty seven million people voted in the last election. There's three hundred and thirty million people in this country. That means take out the people under 18 and you're looking at one hundred and twenty million people that didn't vote. Why am I fighting over three percent of people who can't make their mind up when there's one hundred and twenty million people that haven't even entered a poll? My theory that I've been developing over the years is that the conservative Republican side has learned to accept falsehoods without blinking an eye. So if somebody comes out and says something that's completely wrong, proven to be wrong, a hundred times wrong, rather than dismiss that source as an unreliable source and we're not going to pay any heed to it, they just let it go. 
and that person gets to continue with whatever it is they want to do. Take a look at this impeachment thing that they're trying to do to Biden, right? The thing that the uh, the head of the the committee that's you know determining whether to impeach him, he he says, well, there was this two hundred thousand dollar loan that Biden made to his brother and got paid back. Well, guess what? That same guy who's making that accusation. Turns out he gave his brother a $200,000 loan that got paid back. And the Republicans don't care. They're like, oh, that's not material when it's the same damn thing. Exactly. It wasn't the same thing. This was a shell uh, to cover up a land deal. Right. I mean, so he actually did do an impropriety. (laughs) (laughs) True. As James Comer, I like to call him Gomer Comer, you know, because but that's what I'm talking about. And then he can turn around and grab the gavel and take a position of authority. But they understand it's a win game. See, if they've got a person in power, they will forgive that person anything. You look at Clarence Thomas. You mentioned him already. You look at at Cromer, like you said. You look at Santos, who's Mm -hmm. been in. He's almost at the end of his term and he's still sitting in that seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he said he's not going to run again. They forgive everything. Every impropriety. Only fans. Yeah. But you take a look at, you know, as soon as a Democrat crosses the line, mm-hmm. take Senator Menendez yeah. from New Jersey, right? He's got gold bars and, and deals with Egypt and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then the Democrats turn on him. They said, we don't want you in a party. Get out. So what I, I find for the Democratic Party is we have no problem coming after our own, but we have a problem going after the people who are coming after all of us. Mm-hmm. And that is an issue. I think a lot of times the stance is if you don't pay it no attention, it'll go away. Well, that's a lie, child. That has not been working. It's not going to continue to work. When you see a lie, call it a lie. Mm -hmm. Prove it's a lie so we can move on. But this is one of the things that I always say, James, is that this is the Republicans' strategy. It's the same. They're not going to throw anything new. Mm -mm. You know, they'll demoralize you, make you look like you ain't made out of nothing. They'll point out all the things that you've done wrong. But I tell Bill all the time, game recognize game. They know when some Something appears to be wrong because they've either done it or they're planning to do they're it. They're projectors is what they are. Yeah. So your initial complaint was about messaging. And you're saying, why can't we control the messaging? And that's part of what Jamil and I do. We're out there putting out the message and we try yeah. to point it out. But where do you actually see the failure happening? Because I see the Biden administration pushing out the message. I see all the senators and congressmen getting in line with the same message. I subscribe to all of them. So when there's an event they want to come up, everybody's posting and sharing the same thing, just like Republicans do. I guess my point is, how do we get that message out of the party and across to the other side? This is more, I'm sorry, this is more on a national level. Right. You know, if you can wake up every day and you can say, what's the issue today? It'll probably be something that was instigated by the other side. It, it, it will be today we're fighting CRT. Today we're fighting book readings in libraries. Today we're and there's so much good stuff that Democrats do that that needs to be what we're talking about. What I'm hearing you two talk about. Those are the things that we need to get beyond the party. Mm hmm. And get out there where everybody else is talking about it. And I think maybe sometimes people want donuts. Mm-hmm. You know, when I want donuts, I don't need to know how you made them. And like sometimes, you know, it's like, hey, this is the donut. We take the sugar and the flour and we put it together. And then the Republican walks up and say, here's the donut. And it's like, thanks. Well, right now I'd eat the donut from Republicans. Yeah, he gave me, a me hungry. I'm sorry, man, but you know, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it's the minutiae. Everybody's not a political junkie, yeah. you know, and you can't speak to everyone like they're political junkies. True. 
there's a very small percentage of people. Churchill may have said 5% of people that vote actually understand politics. Yeah. Oh, that's it right there. You know? Mm -hmm. So when you're speaking to someone from a level of, I'm speaking to you from a policy political standpoint is mm-hmm. not to be condescending but it's kind of going over their head they're worried about eating yep feeding their kids Maslow's. you know and, and just kitchen table issues <laughs> you know we discussed this i don't know which democratic breakfast it was and i stood and i said the problem is we need to have a consistent message mm-hmm. And when you're talking about how that message is delivered, I think you're right on. I try to make sure that whatever I say can be picked up by a sixth grader. If you judge it that way, the magistrate's test is written at a sixth grade level. Well, I'll tell you, that's why Trump. Judge it that way, we need to communicate that way. That's why Trump was successful because he was going down to the second grade level. Yeah. Oh, I thought he didn't make it out of kindergarten. But if you notice, they're the way they message things. What do you say? Uh, What are you for? Crime. They never explain it. Fentanyl, they never explain it. Border, they don't even say the border. They simplify for their base. Guns, you know. (laughs) CRT and asking what it means, they don't even know. And I think for for Democrats, one problem is, and it's, it's a problem because we are such a huge tent. I'd venture to say the ones that are in the politics are at an intellectually higher level than the an intellectual Republican or a Republican. So therefore. We have a bunch of different issues, and it's hard to streamline them and get in alignment. That's valid. And I think that's where a big problem lies, that we can't get in alignment. Mm -hmm. It's almost like when they wake up in the mornings, you know how they slide the bill under your hotel door? Mm -hmm. You know, when you wake up in the morning, it's like they slide the talking points under every Republican's door. I I disagree, because we just watched the Republicans destroy themselves in Congress for these past couple of months. There is no alignment there. There's no consistency there. There's there's nothing I know what you're saying there, but if they still come out, each one of those different people will have the same thing issued that they, they're concerned about. And then Crime, the, blah, you know, blah, 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 blah. The blah. only way you saw what is filtering over Good or what's point. foaming at the top is because they've had enough, like they've hidden enough. I think that they are known to protect their own, but now they're at the point to where something has caused that switch to flip. And so now they don't care who they expose in that time frame. But I think their structure was one band, one sound. But that blow up was personal. Yeah. When McCarthy allowed the ethics probe into Matt Gates mm-hmm. to reopen, Matt Gates went directly at McCarthy and did, did it. And because did. when MAGA Mike Johnson had that same exact vote yeah. and worked with the Dems, the same level of votes came and there was no that was a personal thing. It was personal. That was personal. That that that's why that happened. But they'll each still look at you and say, "We got to stop crime. Yeah. We got to stop this." We, and if you ask a Democrat, "What do you want to stop?" While all of our points may be valid or, or are valid, they're just not all the same ones every yeah. day. And the re- repetition that gets into that ninety-five percent of people that just vote, not the 5% policy hawks, Mm -hmm. but that 95%, we got to make it plain to them. I agree. All right, HuffPost, this is an opinion piece. And let me just tell you before I even read the topic, child. This author cracked the egg, put it in a bowl, floured up Tim Scott, Dipped him in that egg to make sure that batter stuck <laughs> and fried his behind. <laughs> and this piece, mm. honey, if mm. I could have said this 
any better, I would have. But let me go ahead and tell you, it says opinion. Tim Scott's run for president was never real, and neither was he. Most of Scott's political experience was ultimately centered on being a Republican's black best mm-hmm. friend. I just want to point out that the author of this piece himself is an African-American gentleman. Written like no other. Could only be an African man writing this, mm-hmm. an African-American you know. man. Oh, he brought this. And then one of the things that he said in this article was, why in the world would Tim Scott bring his girlfriend, air quotes, out on the national stage and announce her so that she can be ridiculed, torn apart, picked apart, and then come back out the next day or so and say, oh, I don't feel like playing anymore. I'm mad at Tim Scott because we recorded a bit about him last Sunday. And the very next day, he drops out of the race. He drops out. And then our episode didn't even release until Wednesday. So we were already behind the times. It's like he did that timing on purpose to screw with us. This article, so you'll understand the author writing from a black man's perspective, and you'll understand the black delegation's issues with Tim Scott. Tim Scott said that they that he had experienced the pain of discrimination, but cautioned that race was not a political weapon to settle every issue at once. That's not the way that you should do it. So to Tim Scott, we understand that race is not a political weapon, but it is definitely a component that should be considered when you're talking politics. I don't know why Tim Scott has a hard time understanding that he is a black man. I think this article might help him remember that or not being able to secure more than a Uh, 4% at the national polls might help him remember that. Tim Scott has had, this article points out, several opportunities to stand for what was right as it relates on a racial stage. When the Emanuel 9 happened right here, Tim Scott said, we need to face racism with love and peace. I don't think love and peace went to Emanuel 9. I don't think that's what you call that. So he's had opportunities to stand and say what was right. This article points out, that Tim Scott's role that he was to play, and he played very well, was to be the token. That's what he was to be. He was to show up in places, and when white Republicans got called on the carpet for making racist actions or omitting thoughts about race and passing procedures and policies, they were to say, but I got my friend is Tim Scott. He's the one that when you go places so you don't feel like you are opposing black people, you say, but I know Tim Scott. You know, this is not a new fight. This is not a new protection that they use. If you go somewhere and you say, well, Um, If they think that you're being accused of being anti-Semitic, somebody is going to say on that side, well, I got a cousin who's married to a Jew. If you think that they're being anti-LBGTQ, you're going to have somebody on that Republican side that's going to say my third cousin's fourth brother-in-law's auntie used to be gay. So they're going to always connect it to something. And this article did an excellent job on calling out the fact that Tim Scott was only along for the ride. Tim Scott's message has always been uh, pretty much policed in a way that if it was something that he ever wanted to do that went against the Republican Party, he had no chance to do it. And it may have been because he had somebody in his ear saying, if you say this, you can't do that. At what point does Tim Scott recognize that he is direct descendants of the discrimination that he is afraid to acknowledge, if not continuing in it? My main concern is, did he save the receipt on that chick? You know, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or did she come with a warranty or something? You know? Return, uh, return, you know, return. He's going to want to take her back. Uh, but to your point, Tim Scott's no different than Stephen was in Django. Uh, The D is silent. Uh, Or that Big Jim was, you know, and Huck fan. The races always have to have 
my African-American. You know, they got to have them because if he he can say things that they can't. Mm-hmm. And if he's around to say those things, then it's like, see, it can't be racist. Even if one percent of you, 30 million, believe that. Yeah. If he says it, his one percent outweighs the rest of you 99%. And he also understands what Clarence Thomas' wife told him, because Clarence Thomas used to be Afro-wearing, fist-pumping guy. Mm -hmm. And his wife told him, you know, there's a shorter line over here for you. Mm. And you can advance a whole lot quicker if you come this way. Herman Cain, Byron Donald, Tim Scott, they're never going to be president. N- you, never. You're the necessary. You you you're necessary for our cause. Yeah. To keep so we can advance our cause. This author wrote, "It may be difficult to admit that in America was built on a foundation of racism, or that loose gun laws make it easier for bad actors to get access to firearms, but it's hard to stare reality in the face and realize that no matter how much you shine yourself up to make yourself presentable to the folks whose acceptance you desperately want, you are still a black man, and the group you." You've aligned yourself with will always have a problem with that. That's deep. That is deep. I think this was probably a part of the plan all along for Tim Scott to come out and say that he heard the voice of the American people saying, no, Tim, not now. Patted him on his head. And Tim went away. Now, I would like to point out something else about the way Tim Scott announced his exit from the campaign trail. Yes. And it really exposed what a despicable person he is. Yes. All right. So I'm going to set aside all the race stuff and just get to the core of who he is as a human being. There's a podcast called Pod Save America, and they pointed out something about the way he announced that I want to share with you right now. Okay. But first... South Carolina Senator Tim Scott became the second major candidate to drop out of the Republican primary after a Sunday night announcement on Fox that shocked even his own campaign staff. But when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential uh, candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me uh, not now, Tim. I'm trying. I, I'm trying to process this this information, and, and I'm trying to do it uh, on on live television. So forgive me. You, you know, uh, Romans eight twenty eight is such an important uh, scripture. It says that so all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I, I think the message is clear for me right now. That was Tim Scott speaking on. Trey Gowdy's show on Fox. Trey Gowdy, former congressman. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't even know he had a show. Oh, it's great. It's a great show. Are you like, yeah, yeah, you watch, watch it, it a lot. Week, every Sunday night. Uh, what are you guys doing? Apparently, nice. Tim Scott and Trey got here close, though, and uh, he was pretty surprised. Pretty surprised. I, I It's a small thing, but I find it, je- like, it's actually very obnoxious to surprise your campaign staff. Yes. I find that to be so f- rude. Like, oh, so these people that devoted their lives to you, like, even if it was an hour, I'm not saying, like, the sooner the better, but, like, even if it's right before, like to show these people the respect yes. of giving them the do information. A, do a conference call. Quick, jump on a quick conference call with the with the HQ. Let them hear first. Like thank them for everything they did for you. Like they they're taking low pay to come help you, Tim Scott, run this Don Quixote mission. Not is, a good, not a good look, Tim Scott. It is so unbelievably. <laughs> 
to do to your staff, to do to your donors, to do the people who volunteered for you? And like, what, what, what's the upside of surprising Trey Gowdy on Fox News? <laughs> well, the news. I'm glad, I mean, for content. It was it good was for a us. Win for content. Maybe, maybe he just decided literally in the moment at the end. Of the day. <laughs> just like, oh. I mean, <laughs> I thought like watching the campaign or watching the last debate, it seemed like he was going to drop out the whole time. He just didn't want to be there. So I, I have to agree that it seemed like nobody except perhaps Tim Scott's mail-order bride, knew that he was going to be dropping out of that presidential race that day. And just the disrespect to his staff, who had just the week prior uprooted their lives, moved to Iowa because they were going to throw everything they had into that state. And they are hearing it the same time as Trey Gowdy. And my God, how does that man get a television show? Got it. Uh, he couldn't string two words together. Howdy doody gowdy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wanted to point that out, that just even in his exit, he proves himself to be not worthy of the office of president of the United States. So did you watch to see where his donors have shifted their support? From what I saw, it was kind of spread across all the remaining candidates, except Chris Christie. So it went evenly across Haley, uh, Trump and DeSantis. Yeah. That just goes to show the voters of... <laughs> The voters that the people who were following Tim Scott decided to pour money, their funds and their support into Trump and DeSantis. Both of those messages are so aggressive and derogatory. I cannot believe it. Well, yes, I can. Yeah, right here in Greenwood, you had Senator Billy Garrett and, and Representative John McCravey. They endorsed Tim Scott. But as a backup, they also said they liked things Trump did, and they're going to be switching their their support to him. Billy Garrett's webpage still says pro-God, pro-family, pro-business, pro-Trump. That don't surprise me for them, no. but we know them. We expect that from them. When you see what Tim Scott and the, ne- the necessity he, he was for them, the same thing is with Ramaswamy uh, and, and, and Nikki. It's like we have two Indian people. We have this brown-on-brown violence going on on the stage. They're the harshest with each other mm-hmm. than they are with anyone else, mm-hmm. if you've noticed. Mm-hmm. She called him scummy. He's a spitting image of Donald Trump in his language. Mm-hmm. How he's, Well, he's a little more articulate, but he's a spitting image. And, but yet she worked for the guy, Trump, Trump, and never called him scum, mm-hmm. but she called a fellow Indian scum. And that's a necessity. They need those people to do that with each other. Well, as long as your called. hands off with, with a, yeah, that was She kinda. should have called that. Well, listen, we're, we're straying scum. from Tim Scott. I'm going to bring it back to Tim. <laughs> I know. But the, uh, the message the, the is, the is, is the same. That type of hate is shifting. So when you look at Republican voters, if you are someone who is looking for advancement and progression and more on the lines of equality, then you can't support someone who left Tim Scott and went to DeSantis or to Trump. I mean, who you got? Who do the Republicans have now that would adequately represent them? Doug Burgum. Bill. (laughs) He'll be the last man standing. You watch. The last thing I want to point out about Tim Scott is that he already has a day job besides running for president. He's senator of South Carolina. Supposed to be representing our state in the U.S. Senate. The man has not cast a vote in Mm. months. Not one. In months. And I see it in the paper. It's reported. Their voting records. His record is absent. Even after he bowed out of the presidential race, he took a week off and didn't vote. So for you Republicans out there, your only representation from South Carolina in the U.S. Senate is your favorite boy, Lindsey Graham. He's the only one representing you at the moment. So if you're not happy with that, give Senator Scott a call and tell him to get back to his damn job. Maybe he should have pulled a fire alarm. 
I'm just saying. And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. Hey, thank you, James, for spending time with us today. I'm completely honored to be here, and I try to stay on course if ever I get the chance again. (laughs) That's right. Um, Make sure you pay Jamil your guest fee on your way out. That would be appreciated. I just want to say, you guys are not in my district, but (laughs) I am in full support of the both of you. Thank you. And And I wish you nothing but the best. You guys are awesome. Well, we know the clues are a big family in the area, and you got tendrils spread in every corner. So you let your family know, and uh, we, we will be guaranteed success in the next election. That's it. We hope you've enjoyed what you have heard. If you've made it here to the end of this episode, you must have loved it. So why don't you take a quick minute and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever it is you use to listen to us. You do that, and Jamil will stop by and cook your Thanksgiving turkey. That's a lie. <laughs> she won't. Jamil, you need to be a team player No, here. no, no, she won't, but I will come visit and eat. <laughs> there you go. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work. Change only happens over many years of work and dedication. From Jamil and myself and the entire team here at Black, White, and Blue in the South, which consists just of Jamil and myself. Okay. We wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Take care. The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023. All rights reserved.